Welcome to the Cool McGrath Show. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, welcome to NSDZ. Welcome to the No Sphere Detonation Zone. <laughs> what the fuck? Where was that last time? <laughs> I don't know. I, just, I, I, I just came right off the dome, right off the bald dome, because I'm a conduit. Who are you? Uh, I'm Isaiah. <laughs> Hi, Isaiah. Oh. <laughs> Who are you two? Your worst nightmare. And, okay. and I'm Steven. <laughs> So this is our, our second video on Infamous One. Sec Hold on. <laughs> this is our second episode on Infamous One. Our second video. Oh, we, God. We played Infamous. Hi, I'm Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now that the gang's all here. Uh, I... I was unconvinced that we had played enough of the game the first time around, <laughs> so we're, we'll be doing a second episode. This time we're going to try focusing mostly on like the sort of plot and lore of the game. We'll be talking a little bit about mechanics that we didn't get into in the first part, but that'll be a smaller section of the episode. Is there a... Oh, did, did anyone else have any starting thoughts before we get into things? I just wanted to say I was surprised by how much I really enjoyed the writing of this game. Like, I remember liking the story when I played it as a kid but like it's not just the story like uh, I like Sonic Adventure 2 that I like that story it has terrible writing you know <laughs> yes yes it does this this game it really feels like every component narratively like not only was well thought out but works really well with the gameplay yeah and like, it feels organic yeah it's it's very pleasant yeah so something that I did because we had the extra time, I was able to beat the game fully. I, I'm missing like 15 or 20 blast shards, and I haven't done a bunch of the side quests. I've, I feel like I've probably done like 30% of them. But I beat the whole game, and then I just restarted and started playing an evil playthrough this week. <laughs> so the only major thing that I noticed that I wanted to mention was that, first of all, if you are playing an evil playthrough, the loading screen has, like, red electricity stuff around the word infamous, which is... I, I didn't realize that that was based on your alignment. Yeah. And and then also, there... So the first event where you can choose to be good or choose to be bad is, like, when the food drop happens, and you have to go and, like, knock it down, and then you can either take all the food for yourself or just take what you need. If you choose to be evil, there's no neutral state in this game, so you're just assumed to be good until you get to that section. So once you turn evil, the screen just goes like, and then you get like the mission um, complete thing. And then when the screen unbures, it <laughs> suddenly <laughs> a few more things are red and your hands are glowing red. <laughs> like everything changes sort of instantly in a dramatic way. Yeah, it like mm -hmm. it feels more impactful than I had anticipated. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like you're going from being just some guy to being a slightly more selfish guy. It feels like you're going from being the protagonist of a video game to being like a murder machine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because you don't get something as dramatic when you choose to be good, and a certain degree of that is just that it it just doesn't make sense to develop like an interface for when you're neutral if you're only going to be neutral for 30 seconds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but also like I I wonder if they were like we want choosing to be evil to be impactful or if it was just a byproduct of that. They were like, "Ah, this is an ungraceful solution uh 
but it comes with the the extra it adds extra oomph accidentally you know yeah well i sort of feel like like not even in the context of the game it's just like doing bad is more noticeable than doing something good like you think of the news you're going to hear negative stuff more than positive stuff or yeah to to make a very mundane other video game comparison you can punch a chow or pet a chow but that that punching is going to have a lot bigger impact on it than just petting it right like it's easier to make a chow good or evil by just punching it with the opposite alignment character as opposed to nurturing it <laughs> yeah even though that has lasting psychological consequences I don't um, yes. quite know if the term psychological is accurate because it's a video game, but yeah. That's true. Um, I mean, I do think I do think choosing the evil route requires a lot more intentionality than choosing the good route. Like, yeah. I think for most people, choosing the good route is just the more automatic way to go. Well, not only that, but, like, the first event that you get to choose um, an action in... You are either just letting people grab the food, and that's good, which is more just passive than good, or yeah. you're, like, shooting people mm. until you get the food yourself, whereas later on, the good actions actually require more, like, activism than the bad actions. Yeah. Because there are things where it's like, oh, you'll see a man dangling from, like, a wire, and you can set him free or just walk away. And walking away is the evil thing, and setting him free yeah. is the good thing. So I think yeah, they, that's kind of neat that, like, as the game goes on, there is this sort of, like, character development thing where Cole has to take more active roles being a good guy than being a bad guy. Yeah, I wonder if they wanted to funnel players towards the good path on the first playthrough. I definitely think that they did, just based on, like, the way the UI works and then, like, the assumptions made of the player. Yeah. Hmm. That's a that's a thinker, and I'll, I'll I'll actually be really interested as we cover the series to to see how they present the first moral option in the game, in in each game. Yeah, because that is like, I I remember Infamous Second Son's first first situation. Uh, I was watching a friend play it, and like it was a lot more. The choice felt a lot more meaningful. So we we hadn't committed on a playthrough yet, and we had to discuss it for like ten minutes. Yeah. Um, and so as compared to, you know, this game where it's like, do you do nothing or do you actively go out and shoot innocent people? Like, <laughs> that's that's a gameplay, like, that funnels you directly towards I'm going to do nothing. Because if you don't, if you can't make a decision, your passivity will decide for you. Yeah, there's, mm -hmm. there's like, a couple of situations like this. There's, a, there's one later on in the game where... I think someone is, like, shooting a rocket at you, <laughs> and you can use the, um, like, shockwave to send the rocket away. But it's m almost a quick time event where it's like, oh, I can let myself get shot by the rocket, and that's good. Or if I'm, like, <laughs> fast enough, I can block the rocket. And I didn't realize what was going on until I had already made the quote-unquote good decision. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, good is inept sometimes. <laughs> yeah... But I think now that we've mentioned the first, like, good plot choice in the game, I think it makes sense to just get going with the plot now. Yeah. So, Infamous opens with the Ray Sphere going off, which Cole was uh, delivering unbeknownst to him that he was carrying a bomb. So, Cole gets a call from this guy who we later learn is Kessler, and he says to just open the package, and then the, the Ray Sphere goes off. And this is what gives Cole his powers. 
and it takes out a whole chunk of the city. And this is the inciting incident of the entire game. After this point, there is a plague that is going through the town. What, what is the city's name? Is it uh, Empire City. Empire City, that's what it is. Yeah. It's not Central City. That's, that's Sonic the fucking Hedgehog. <laughs> yeah. Although Sonic also has an Empire City. Yes. It does, doesn't it? Not to confuse with Liberty City from Grand Theft Auto 4. They do. When when fictional like places, when they try and name cities, they really just go, let's make it sound as generic as possible. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you bomb the city accidentally. <laughs> and then the plague goes off and the government locks down the city. And as you're playing through like the tutorial of the game, Cole is being guided by somebody in a helicopter. And then you're trying to like make your way back to, um, like, the district of the city that you live in. Because it turns out that the spot where Cole was delivering the bomb was the historic district, which becomes more relevant later on in the game. But once you get back to the city, um, Cole has to recover. So he starts out in the hospital, and then there's, like, this... One of the nice little comic book sequences that we talked about before takes you through basically the first two weeks of being... of the city being in quarantine and Cole getting used to his powers. And then at this point you decide that you're going to escape. Or actually, right before you decide that you're going to escape, that's when you have your first uh, karma decision. It's when they drop the food. And then, after that, it's revealed that Cole was the one delivering the bomb, so the entire city thinks that he detonated it himself, and they start referring to him as the terrorist. And this is announced by the... um... Do they have a name for the character that like runs the pirate radio? I don't know, but uh, Zeke calls him TV guy. Yeah, TV guy. <laughs> yeah, there's like two people you'll see on the TV, and it's that guy and a uh, uh, newswoman. Yeah, and I like how they're just played by real people. Yeah, it's like yeah, F&B. it's yeah, it's it's pretty good actually. So you know, this guy basically just paints a big target on Cole and Trish. Oh, you know, I should have mentioned this as well. Oh, uh, Trish's sister. Is, his name is the voice of survival. Okay, yeah, I I was wondering if he had like a real name. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he does. At the end of his things, he like signs out by saying "Voice of Survival" out, right? Probably. Yeah. I don't. I think. I, I don't know. I think he mentions that title. But yeah, the, he calls himself the Voice of Survival. Yeah. So, Trish Cole's girlfriend, her sister was. I don't know if she was killed during the blast. I think she. I think she was killed during the blast. I don't think it was a result of like the plague or anything. Yeah. No, it was the right. explosion. Okay. Yeah. So the thing like that Cole directly caused, in, at least in her eyes. Uh, killed her sister, so she's, like, not talking to Cole during the first part of the game. Like, the first actual gameplay part of the game. Yeah. And your only real ally through this is Zeke, and during the cutscene, Cole says, like, even Zeke was giving me funny looks. So it's like, everyone in the city now hates you. (laughs) (laughs) And this is when you and Zeke decide that, like, it's time to leave town. I I don't know why I'm switching back and forth between Cole and you as describing the player character. I think I think the game does kind of like it has it has enough of like a role play component to it. Right. That it's like easy making. to blur that. Like it's easy for your brain to be like, this is my decision, you know. Yeah. But like Cole is not a clean slate character by any means. Yeah, really Cole weird. has a personality and a voice. Um of survival. <laughs> I I really have mixed feelings about Cole's voice actor. Oh yeah, his like a literal voice. <laughs> his yeah. his like 
I'm going to talk like this all the time. I'm Batman. Even though the things I'm saying are more expressive, I have to oh. I have to say them in a gravelly voice with no My expression friend. at all. It's so weird because he'll talk in that gravelly voice for so long, but like at this one point where Trish is starting to come around, he like talks kind of normally for once, <laughs> yeah. and then it just back to gravel. He like softens up for a second, and then it immediately goes back to like the... Deliver the sea. <laughs> You're like, oh, Trish, that's nice to hear. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but when, I have something caught in my throat. When you and Z go to... I did it again. When, <laughs> Whatever, we'll just keep doing it. When you and Z go to the, the bridge to try and escape... You're being blocked by a bunch of, like, riot police. And this is the second major opportunity that you have to make a karma decision. So you can either, like, just walk up and start beating the shit out of the police, which is the good thing to do. Or you can stand in the crowd and shoot lightning from the middle of the crowd at the riot police. And this will start a riot without you being, like, the the sole one, I guess, like, getting engaged. Yeah, the the riot police will start shooting at civilians, and not just you. Therefore, it'll keep their fire off you. Yeah, which is so, why it's <laughs> <laughs> this game has very mixed messages about police. Yes, it does. I feel like there was. I feel like the political implications of the the karma choice system is. It, I don't know that I can say for sure the writers were fully responsible, but I do know that they were they were thinking about what's good, what's evil. Yeah, like the game is sending messages about those two things, which are <laughs> like, very interesting to me. Like Charlie said, there are lots of like police interactions in this game, and they are not in any way like homogenous like they don't yeah, yeah. Not work like, together. <laughs> you'll get missions from police and one of them was like can you defuse this bomb and you can either just like press trial defuse it or shoot the bomb and i'm like i you know hmm i kind of want to blow up the police station but cole brings up a good point <laughs> is that there are just civilians nearby so i'm just gonna go ahead and defuse it yeah it's like and then also later zeke talks about like messing with the police three like three different times i think like one of them is he talks about like a time when he literally just pissed on a police officer <laughs> it's <laughs> like also, one of the first lines of dialogue in the game <laughs> there's a mission that really gets me where you have to escort um like arrested reapers to a police station yeah for interrogation yeah and the game is like yeah so this is a good mission cuz you're helping the cops and that's good um but also uh, if the Reapers aren't walking fast enough, you can zap them with electricity to speed them up. Yeah, and that's and... that's a good thing to do. That's not bad. And when you do that, Cole is like, "Hurry it up, shithead!" Like he's yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, like, he's like being a monster. It's and... so like like my action here is pretty bad. These guys are already like, I'm pretty sure they're handcuffed. If not, I don't know like what they're doing. And when it's the Reapers, they are also under mind control. Yeah, it's oh, actually, that's another thing. So um, we'll we'll get to the Sasha bit, but I I do need to talk about how um, there's a section where Sasha has prisoners and they're they're being mind controlled, so they're progressively becoming Reapers. Uh, and you get experience for freeing prisoners, but there are some prisoners that are already in Reaper outfits because they're already like so far gone that they're yes. wearing the uniforms. And if you free them, you don't get anything for it. But they also don't attack you. They they don't attack you. That's true. So I they don't. I thought they like start to attack after like, no, they a little just, bit. They just stand around. 
Yeah, I, I oh. like this bit a lot because it's like they are through the process of being mind wiped, like yeah. it seems, but they have not been like told to kill you. So yeah, they're just. I took them down anyway. You killed them. I didn't kill them. Oh, okay. Sorry. I just incapacitated them. Oh, oh, There right, is a difference. Right. I, I wonder if maybe <laughs> if you attack them, they will start to attack back. You just shot them with electricity till they stopped moving. Sorry, I didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get experience for it, Charlie? I don't remember, probably. That's fair. <laughs> uh, where are we at in the plot, though? Uh, it's, uh, uh, the blast oh, the, happens. The, the riot police. The riot police. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so we got to the bridge. Um... So, at this point, no matter what you do, a riot starts, which is why it feels even weirder that those decisions are, like, the difference between good and bad. But yeah. as soon as you attack one of the police officers, all the civilians start rushing, and then the police start shooting everyone involved. And you, you know, you beat these riot police, and then you get through, like, a gate. And then, as you're going on to this bridge that's all gated up, uh, there's, like, tons of dudes stationed to shoot you. So, like, you work your way through this, and this basically teaches you about the cover gameplay of the game. Which you'll have during the more scripted segments, as opposed to the like kind of freeform running around the city combat. Yeah. So during this section, you're like running alongside civilians, and eventually you get past three gates to a final gate where another comic book cutscene plays. And in this scene, Cole opens the door, and then just it's machine guns everywhere, and somehow Zeke runs through all of the machine gun fire and jumps off the bridge into the harbor. And then yeah. you also run through, but, like, I don't know where Cole goes, but he ends up in a, like, closed-off room, like an interrogation room, basically, but there's no one in the room with him. There's just someone on the intercom, and the person on the intercom is Moya, and she is the main person who basically gives you tasks to do in the game from this point onward, and she tells you that her husband, John... John White. White. John White. There we go. I kept wanting to say mayor, but that's not right at all. Uh, also, <laughs> are they? Are they? Are they married? They okay. do have different last names. So, fun fact: the, the John doesn't even know Moya, but that's a spoiler. <laughs> ah, okay. Um. So, so, <laughs> so Moya tells you that her husband has like infiltrated the first sons, and that she is looking for him. And she wants you to help, and she says that if you help, she'll get you off the island, off the you know off the city. Yeah. And you know you Cole whatever you have no choice but to help her, both because that's how video games work, and because there is nothing <laughs> but machine guns waiting on the other side of this wall. Yeah. So you end up like spawning under the bridge, and she's like, "All right, you'll have to work your way out because I can't control the police. I'm like separate from the government." So you work your way back from the bottom of the bridge onto the mainland again, and Zeke is just there. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just he's already swam back. He says like, "Now I'm no Michael Phelps, but I made it," or whatever. <laughs> you and Zeke just keep hanging out for a little bit, and then Moya starts giving you tasks. And one of these first tasks is to like get like meet up with an engineer. I don't remember what the engineer was supposed to be doing. But this leads you on to, like, the first big series of tasks in the game, where as you're trying to find, like, what this engineer is doing... Or no, wait, the engineer is after this. What What's the inciting incident where the guy blows up the power station? It's so, um, there's somebody you're trying to track down um, who, like, their their wife was killed, 
and so you follow the reaper that killed the wife. But and that's that. I thought that yeah, because then you have to go into the sewer. Yeah, that's that's during the sewer though, right? That's not that's after the no, bomb so has already gone off. You find the wife like at this place outside. Yeah, because you're looking you for the engineer, the and then you find the wife instead. Yes. And that's when you, you learn that you have telekinesis. <laughs> yeah. Or not telekinesis, yeah. Uh, telepathy. Yeah, you're looking for the guy. You find his dead wife. You follow the ghost image of the person who killed the wife. That leads you to the bomber who explodes and turns off the power. Okay. I was like, I was very mixed up on how these events led together. But yeah, so you're you're looking for this engineer who supposedly like knows something about the uh, the first sons. And you find the dead wife, and what happens is Cole, like, looks to inspect her, but when he puts his hand near her head, he gets, like, psychic visions of how she died and where the person who killed her started running. Which means that he's, like, either she was alive for a little bit after she got killed, or not got killed, but, like, she got attacked and then she was alive for a little bit and saw the person running. Or you can see, like, astral projections of someone who has already died. <laughs> so, I I mean, the explanation of how the race fear works and how Cole's power specifically works does make this power actually make a bit more sense. Well, especially when you see other people's powers. Because the implication is that the race fear does not make conduits. Conduits exist and the race fear boosts them. So in this yeah. universe, just telepathy is real. And, and telekinesis <laughs> is real. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, actually, that makes sense. So, like, Cole was already telepathic, and now he also has super lightning. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's essentially the amount of, like, telepathic energy. Uh, it was boosted by, uh, essentially, the deaths of the people around him. Yeah, and he absorbed like, their, like, powers. Their, their, like, neuron energy. Yeah. So, that bomb going off takes out power in the in the whole Neon District... And that's or the whole neon section of the city because it's broken up into smaller districts even after neon because there's like three islands and then each island has districts but they're all Empire City mm -hmm. so Empire City is three islands it's really weird it's like it's like the boroughs of New York yeah yeah that's the best way to describe it but this this power outage is what starts you off on like the main sequence of events that you'll be doing and as you're as you're taking care of these power outages, you go into the sewers and you like unlock new powers and then you bring back electricity. So you make the, the space easier for you to fight in. And you do this, I think, four times along with a couple of other side missions and story missions. Like one of the story missions is the train that we talked about before. This yeah. doesn't really have any major impact on the story, but you free a train full of like civilians. And then this is one of the first times when if you're evil, a cutscene changes. So, when you um, get off the train, Cole is like, everyone was surprised to see the terrorists freeing their loved ones, uh, but, like, they still gave me shitty looks. And if you're good, he's like, I don't really care what they think of me, and then you just walk away. But if you're evil, he's like, you, like, Cole shoots some of the people, and then he oh, says, man. let's see what they think of that, <laughs> and then he, like, walks off. <laughs> I like how, like, depending on your decisions, Cole is just canonically an asshole. Yeah, I think it actually, like, worked really well, because even though that scene is pretty much completely irrelevant to the plot, like, you would not have to have saved that uh, train full of passengers to, like, do anything, but it, it still just, like, paints this picture of Cole being good or evil just in his everyday, you know? Yeah. And then after this sort of, like, string of events, you also get wrapped up in the first kind of, like, B-plot of the game. 
which is this black tar that the Reapers are spreading. And eventually you find out that this tar is the same tar that's mind-controlling the Reapers themselves, and they're putting it in the water supply to, like, basically attack everyone living in the Neon District. And you have to start shutting off these valves and, like, cleaning up the water supply. And that's how you start talking to Trish again. Because when you go to the first location where there's black tar in, like, this giant fountain, she's there, too, trying to help the people that are getting sick because of it. And she is not happy to see Cole, but she's like, if you want to help, just, you know, shut off the valve. And you do this, and it sprays Cole with, like, this black tar that makes him start seeing visions and hearing Sasha's voice in his head. And the voice is... being the leader of the Reapers. Is she is she their direct leader? I I mean I think so. It's a safe assumption given that she's the one mind controlling them. It's it's weird though because the Reapers are described as having existed before the events of the game, but they just didn't have like access to all of their weapons and the ones that are conduits. Yeah, so I mean they they used to just be a gang. Maybe Sasha wasn't the leader back then, but she certainly is now. Yeah. I I guess I was just like curious if like, she was always the leader and didn't always have superpowers, or if she was only the leader after she had superpowers. I, I could see it either way. Um, they don't they don't get too far into it. Yeah, the, the Reapers are kind of the least explored of the groups in the game. Yeah. But basically, Sasha gets in your head, and she starts saying things to Cole about how, like, she's better than Trish, and that Trish doesn't love Cole. And you're, like, this is all going through his head while, Cole, while uh, Trish is trying to take Cole to her van to, like, get the black tar off his face. And then, eventually, Cole just passes out, and that's when Trish is able to get the black tar off. And then she says, if you, like, get this stuff in your face again, I'm not going to be there to help you. And then, obviously, you have to go and get more of the black tar cleaned up, so you're going to get it on your face again. <laughs> it's it's honestly or, yeah. very... It It is something to dislike about Trish, because I feel yeah. like um, this is mind control goop, and she, Cole she, doesn't, she doesn't know that though. They they don't know at this point that the Reapers are being mind controlled. No, but I feel like I feel like Cole could be like, yeah. So when I had the goop on my face, like I was hearing a voice that was trying to get me to like perform actions that maybe might be considered morally reprehensible. Uh, so <laughs> but, I feel like maybe it's pertinent for us to wipe the goop off quickly once it gets on. But he didn't. So that's on him for not explaining <laughs> what was going that's, on. Not you know her. what? That's fair. Yeah. This man killed her sister. As far as she knows. And now he's like, I'm sorry, baby, I didn't mean it. <laughs> and like, <laughs> like, I get why she doesn't want to be around him. <laughs> yeah. But, and she does help him. It's not like she's not going to help him. It's just, she's like, be more careful next time. And then you have to go and not be careful because you're a video game protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> I could either be careful and be a dick, or I could be careless and help people. And by careful, I mean let this bozo do it. Yeah, so speaking of, <laughs> the second time that you open a valve, you get shot again, and you go through the, the illusion sequences. Oh, you know, something, I don't know if we mentioned it last episode, but when you're doing these uh, illusion sequences, there are, like, giant reapers that just show up in oh, your yeah. periphery. Oh, God, yeah. It's, like, um, very cool looking. Towards, tw- like, uh, farther in, they can deal damage to you, and if you shoot yeah. them once, they'll go away. Yeah, it's actually very useful to use the shockwave. Because, like, any amount of electricity touching them makes them vanish. So oh, the yeah. edges of the shockwave will get rid of them. Little little pro tip. <laughs> that's 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 good. Uh, it's a bit too late, though. Because um, uh, yeah. they don't show up again after you beat Sasha. Yeah, but in the Sasha-Bosch fight, it's very helpful to use the shockwave. Oh, yeah. 
But that's a little bit ahead of where we're at. The uh, next, the next karma event that you can do is you will be tasked with like closing off the last valve, but there's a person next to it, and you can either like shoot them into submission so that they have to like get the tar on their face by closing the valve, or you can do it yourself and have you know the little debuff that we've talked about before. And whether like whether or not you do that, basically you just walk away from this, and you start on the like Sasha boss fight quest and the first part of this is that you have to go into a little tunnel where like prisoners are being held and we talked about this a little bit but you have to free them and that's where you find out that the reapers are being made with like mind controlled goop and then directly after that you find out where sasha is and then you find her under the the neon district and you have your first boss fight and in this fight you know she is like in a giant pile of the like tar and stepping in it hurts you because, like, water hurts you. And I guess tar is like water. Mm-hmm. And then she uses her mind control powers to make you fight giant evil things. And she also has, like, super tar tentacles and all this. <laughs> and the boss fight has this weird, like... You, you're you supposed to deal damage to her like a normal enemy. And then if you approach her, like, you, you go into a quick time event where you just have to mash the button and put your hand on her. On, like, her little... What are they? You, They're, like, tubes? You have to, like rip tubes off of her yeah which are either supplying her with goop or she is producing goop and she is supplying other things through the through the tubes my understanding is that she's just producing a ton of goop but i don't like if she's a conduit and conduits have to suck things out of like their environment to get their powers where does she get goop from (laughs) where does she where does she get goop I guess she can just shoot goop at her own goop and then pull goop out of it, like you can with electricity. <laughs> I assume she just made her own goop. Yeah, I think she's just like you know, like we produce a, a ton of fluids. I don't, I don't like this bit anymore. Isaiah, <laughs> are you saying that she just peed on the whole city? <laughs> so the the other thing, I think I like this. It's like uncomfortable, but in a in a way that that works is. The entire boss fight, she is acting like the two of you have like dinner plans. Like you, you guys. Yeah. Are she going also to go like is pretending date. that you're Kessler. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, so that only happens during the boss fight. Up until this point, she refers to you as Cole the whole time, and she clearly okay. is interested in you. But during this boss fight, she starts using the names Cole and Kessler interchangeably. Yeah. Uh, which is your first hint that Kessler, spoiler alert, is Cole. <laughs> <laughs> Um, playing the game through, like, knowing that is, like, a little different than playing it through not knowing it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It makes, like, a lot of things feel weird, which is another good reason the game, like, wants you to do a second playthrough. Yeah. But after this, you end up get making your way to the Warren, which is the second major island in the city. And instead of the Reapers here, you've got a group of homeless people that have, like, taken over the area once all the lights went out. And they are being aided by, um, what is, I always forget this man's name. Alden, I think is his name. Yeah. Uh, they're being aided by another conduit named Alden, who is basically just, like, using them to make these giant trash structures. And you you learn, like, a little bit about John here, but not a whole ton. And you're probably, honestly, learning more about him from, like, the dead drops than anything else if you're doing yeah. those. But not a lot of major plot things happen here except that you find out a little more about how the first sons were created which is that they are like this organization that has existed for like hundreds of years since medieval times yeah 
Supposedly. I don't... I think at one point they say that that's, like, rumored, and then there there's, like, a first confirmed date that they appeared. Because they also... Which is, like... Yeah, because they were, like, saw, saw it as... Seen as witches, and then they went to America. Yeah, like, they're... They are, like, referenced... Or rather, the Salem witch trials are referenced, like, in relation to the first sons. But they talk about how, like, Kessler found them, you know, like, 20 years ago, and has been, like, working in the U.S. ever since. Hmm... So it's pretty unclear, like, exactly what the First Sons are, but they know that they're an organization that's interested in, like, telepathic and uh, telekinetic powers and, like, using the human mind. And they've got, like, some Illuminati shit going on where it's, like, they may or may not be affiliated with, like, parts of the government. But you you find out that the race sphere is being held by Alden in this district. So a lot of what you're doing here is, like, helping the police get the... Uh, I forget what the term for the, like quote-unquote bad guys here is i know like the nickname is trash baggers but i think they have a different they're, i've uh, heard i've heard at least other i've like heard dustmen yeah, yeah. Dustmen. and a few other names th- there's one that's just like like it's another term for like wandering guys or something but it's like uh what there's like three words there's dustmen trash baggers and something else nomad no they're not I feel like it starts with like a p or a d oops they're like I don't know. There's another word that I feel like is the most respectful of their names. <laughs> uh, and, of course, it's the one I forgot. But you're dealing with them, and then you, the uh, police get a hold of Alden, and you have to escort them uh, to, like, the police station so that they can interrogate him and, like, get like figure out, you know, how to get the race fear. Mm-hmm. But at this point, Zeke is trying to help you, and he he's supposed to be keeping an eye on Alden, but at a certain point, you're defending the police station from just, like, hordes and hordes of all these guys, and some of them are conduits. So Zeke comes out to help you, because he's like, well, the police have it handled in there. And then, of course, Alden escapes. And, like, Cole makes it sound like if Zeke was there, the police would have been able to handle Alden. But I don't know that that's true. Like, if I they've mean, got a dozen guys with guns, how is a 13th guy with a gun going <laughs> to make the difference between, like, that and a tele- telepathic dude that can fucking throw buses? A thirteenth, very out of shape guy with a gun. <laughs> like Don't he's not the out of. <laughs> he's he's no Michael Phelps. Remember. <laughs> Don't forget the out of shape guys with the scrap spiders. Yeah, yeah. The so there are like two sets of conduits that you fight um, against the trash baggers. I guess we'll go with. Isn't this just, isn't just the one? I don't know if there's a second one. No, there's the golems. Those are also conduits, the, like, giant... Oh, the scrap spiders? No, 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 there's, uh, there, there are, I don't think you got to this part, but there's a second kind of conduit that they have that is, like, one guy, and then he uses tele- uh, telepathy to, like, move metal around him and form, like, a giant golem. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, there's also these, like, bigger dudes that have, like, backs with spiders on them that they just throw these, like, little spidery, like, trash goblins at you. Oh, I, you know, one plot thing that we should mention that I forgot to go over is... When you first are introduced to Alden, you're trying to deliver um, a bus with Trish and some, uh, like, hurt people to a medical facility. And Uh this is the point in the story when Trish and Cole are, like, trying to patch things up, kind of. Like, she's accepted that he was not intentionally trying to bomb the city. (laughs) Which I feel like that should have been clear earlier, but, you know, it's weird right now. (laughs) Yeah. So you get to the medical facility, and then Alden is there waiting for you, and he launches the bus onto the top of a skyscraper, and you have to climb up there and save the people on the bus and Trish and everything. Um, but after you do that, that's when you have to escort Alden to the police. 
And then when Alden escapes, he kidnaps Trish. Or no, when does she... She gets kidnapped by Kessler after all of this. I'm, I'm getting mixed up. She, so she's fine during this whole event. Okay. So you save her from the bus. She's fine. <laughs> they, they Alden escapes. Uh, he goes to the top of the trash tower that he's been building. You go up to the trash tower with Zeke for some reason. Uh, at this point, I believe you've made contact with John. And he is, like, trying to, you know, get you to destroy the race sphere instead of bringing it back to the government. And he also explains to you that Moya is not his wife and he does not know who she is. So this is the first time that you find out that Moya has been lying to you and that pretty much everyone except for Zeke has been lying to you. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. It feels like you have very little agency, but John, the most recent person to quite possibly lie to you, tells you that you need to destroy <laughs> the race sphere and that Alden has it on top of this building. So I'm trying to remember how you get into contact with John. Oh, okay. There's a mission where you have to, like, knock down these, these drones in the air, these UAVs. And those drones have, like, the, those are, like, John's drones. And when you knock them down, he gets, like, a way to contact you. But his contact is encrypted. So Moya can't hear what John is saying, but you can. And that's when he tells you that Moya is not his wife. Okay. Sorry, I'm a little scattered right now. There's a lot that goes on in the story. And a lot of the missions, like, don't matter. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, like, small arcs that are, like, especially with the... Um... The three sections sort of each have their own, in like order to get through them, you, you do a thing. Yeah. Um, and then also a lot of the side content is, is fairly disconnected or sometimes connected to a side plot. Yeah. Um, like you have so, to complete a side plot to access some of the side missions, yeah. And it makes sense because this is, I mean, this is a quote-unquote open, open... Can we call this open world? It's, it's, like it's a small yeah, world. It's but, sandboxy. Yeah. So it makes sense that there would be a lot of things going on, uh, like aside from the very critical plot. But yeah. the the story missions don't always further the the critical plot either. So yeah, it's funky. like every third story mission furthers the critical plot, and then Sasha's plot does not really matter for the rest of the story. Yeah, like which, which it, is an interesting like her I mean, her that's story. Not what I expect. Her her story is really cool, but like it it only really briefly relates to Kessler like. Learning about mind control? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and especially, like, for me, um, and, and you get more about her in Dead Drops, but for me, like, in the, the the mission story, you beat Sasha, and Cole is like, I was about to ask her about the First Sons when she got taken away by somebody else, and the plot just couldn't move forward because of this. Yeah, and then you go to, like, Super Homeless Town. <laughs> yeah. I was like, come I mean, on, let me, let beating her serve a narrative purpose that isn't just stop the Reapers, because the Reapers aren't stopped when you yeah. go back to District 1. Yeah. Unless you've already She was the first boss, so I didn't expect much else to come out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you on that. It felt like she was kind of just the story ramping up to a point where you would start to get bigger information dumps, and you do. Like, when you go and, oh, like, yeah. start fighting Alden, you get a lot more about the First Sons, like we talked about. But... You you meet John, you make your way up to the top of Alden's trash tower, he's up there with a the race sphere, Zeke is up there with you, and you have your second boss fight, which is less interesting than the Sasha boss fight. Neither of you guys got to this one, right? That is correct. So. Um, the sequence climbing up to the tower is very cool, because it's the highest you've ever climbed. And Wait, are you talking about the, are you, wait, you're talking about the, the save Zeke? or No, no, I just kind of skipped over that. 
Okay, because because they will start to sound familiar. Yeah, it's it's a similar section except instead of walking around through like a little maze, you're climbing up a giant trash tower. But yeah, there is a segment where Alden captures Zeke, uh, and you have to like free him, and Zeke is like, "Sorry, man, I was just trying to help." And Cole is like, "Well, fucking stop! You don't have superpowers." <laughs> and then after telling Zeke to fucking stop, he asks for Zeke's help to climb the tower to get to fight the superpowered man. And you're up there with Zeke. John has told you to destroy the race sphere. You see the race sphere. You have to beat Alden because he has it. He's sending goons after you. Uh, Zeke is like shooting Alden just with a regular gun, which is working somehow. <laughs> and then, hey, it it works when when people shoot you with regular guns. Yes, but I am not a million year old man or whatever that has staples in my forehead and can lift buses with my mind. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you got but me there. You beat Alden. His ass drops the race sphere, and then Zeke has the race sphere, and Kessler shows up at this point. And, like, uh, Zeke, is, Zeke is trying to decide what he wants to do. And Cole is like, just, like, throw it to me so I can blow it up. And then Zeke tries to trigger the race sphere. Which is, like, a very cool character moment. Because up until now, you know that Zeke has wanted superpowers. But he's kind of been, like, nonchalant about it. And he's been, like, really buddy-buddy with Cole. And he's been the only person that's been on your side the whole game. You know? Yeah. Everyone else is, like, up in the air about it. Uh, but then Zeke decides that he wants superpowers, even if he has to kill, like, everyone in a mile radius or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So he triggers it, and then nothing happens. And at this point, Kessler is like, come with me, and I can give you superpowers, Zeke. So Zeke, with the ray sphere, just jumps onto Kessler's helicopter, and Cole's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's very uncool, Zeke. Yeah, it's like, dude, are you kidding me? <laughs> Uh, so you're up there with a dead old guy, and you just have to walk back to Zeke's apartment. <laughs> I get. I think you go back to Zeke's apartment, I'm not sure. It's not like you have a place to live aside from there. Yeah, but after this part in the story, um, John tells you, like, you fucked up, and your fat friend was not trustworthy. So you now need to go and fix all the problems. And he tells you that Kessler is held up in the historic district, which is actually where the bomb originally went off to start the game. So, you make your way over there, and this is where, like, a lot of the sort of, like, loose ends start getting tied up. Like, Cole tells Moya to fuck off, basically. He's like, you have been lying to me the whole time. I don't know, like, what you want. I'm not giving you the race fear, so you can stop calling me. And then Zeke calls him, and he's like, uh, hey, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> and Cole's like, I'm not returning your calls. Uh, the first major incident that happens on the historic, uh, district is that... Kessler suspends Moya from one building, and then a bunch of senators, I think they are, from another? I don't... Were, are they senators, or are they just, like, council people for the city? They're, like, important somebodies. But, uh, unfortunately, I don't remember. Yeah, I didn't think that you would. It's not, like, a super important event. Wait, is it Moya or is it Trish? Trish, sorry, did I say Moya? Yes. That'd be incredible if he got a hold of Moya and held her from a... <laughs> <laughs> she's calling... She's calling Cole, and she's like, Help! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like at that point the motivation would be more clear for Cole. <laughs> yes, very much so. But except that he would want closure with Moya, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, he wants closure with with Trish too. Uh, yes. If if Trish and Moya were the ones being suspended instead of <laughs> one of them and the anyway, um, Trish is suspended from one building and then important people are suspended from the other. This is another karma thing where you can choose to save the most people or save the one important person to you. Which, I feel like this is not good and evil. I think this is probably the most, like, yeah. fucked I mean, up question I mean, it's, they ask. It's literally the trolley problem. Yeah. 
<laughs> this is like a there isn't a right choice in in that problem. Yeah, so it's like this is the one where I think it's the least fair that they ask it, but I think it makes sense. Like, I, it's pretty clear it, that Evil Cole still likes Trish, and he would just yeah. abandon everything to go and get to her. It also the choice makes sense for the story, which we'll get into. Yeah, uh, but I. My understanding is, no matter what you do here, Trish dies. Like, if you go and try to save her, she ends up dying anyway. But I am not sure, because in my evil playthrough, I did not get that far. Uh, so I could I could see it being like, you save her, and then she's pissed off that you did that instead of the moral correct quote-unquote choice. And, and like she just leaves. walks away, yeah. Yeah, and then she exits the story at that point. I'm going to look her up on the wiki while I'm talking about this. But, um, so, if you do the good playthrough, which we all did... You go and you save all of the uh, the people on one side, and Trish just drops from the other building. And this is actually the specific point where Zeke starts trying to get a hold of you, because he's like, I didn't know Kessler was going to try and kill Trish. And then he's like, also, he didn't even give me superpowers, so that fucking sucks. <laughs> oh, Zeke. And Cole is like, Zeke, fuck you. I never want to see you again. You killed my girlfriend. Fuck you. <laughs> okay, so apparently, um, according to the wiki... Uh, quote, Cole made his move, though despite his efforts, he failed to save Trish. Okay, yeah, that's what that's what I figured. Like, she still dies, even if... So she dies regardless. Yeah, okay. That's a shame. I mean, I think it makes sense that she would need to be dead either way. Uh, for, yeah. like, something we'll get to in just a second. Because, after this event, um, you and John really start hunkering down, and you figure out where Kessler is, is hiding the race sphere, basically. You have to do, like, a couple of missions to do this. But... You um, eventually get the, you find the Ray Sphere, and you have the choice to either destroy it or activate it again. I think that's what it is. It's either destroy it and or activate it again, or it's destroy it or take it for yourself. One is the good, one is the evil. Mm. Um, if you choose the good, you blow up the Ray Sphere. And what happens here is that John is just really close to the Ray Sphere for no reason. So he just gets sucked into it when it blows up. It like <laughs> makes like a tiny black hole. He gets sucked into it and dies. And then you just have to walk away and, like, finish up the plot on your own. I don't know, like, if if it does anything for you if you do the evil thing. I would assume, like, if I were designing the game, I would give you, like, a bunch of experience when you activate the race sphere or something. But it can't yeah. give you new powers because there's, like, a set list of powers the game has. Yeah. And <laughs> and also, like, if there's, <laughs> if there's an entire power, like, extra power unique to, like, when evil. that happens. Yeah. It's it, it would be it would be a little funky. It'd be really weird. Um I'm just gonna I'm just gonna look this up really quick. <laughs> but the the ending of the game is Kessler after you blow up the race sphere is like, Cole, you stupid bastard, why didn't you get more superpowers? Come and fight me. <laughs> <laughs> and you go to the original crater created by the race sphere the first time it was detonated, and you have a fight to the death with Kessler, at the end of which he um you're about ready to do, like, your kill move on him, and then he grabs your forehead and uses Cole's telepathy to show Cole that Kessler is Cole, and that he went back in time to stop the beast. You know, it's a whole <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, so, I mean, I I think it's a, I think it's a really good bit uh, that Kessler was Cole who failed to stop uh, an entity called the Beast, and so in order to recover from this, he went back in time to, like forcefully train his past self via being an evil guy and like making Cole's life hard enough that he would grow strong enough to defeat the beast when it came time. Yeah. 
which is a really, really interesting motivation for a villain. Yeah, I, I think that it is con like convincing because if you think of Cole as the type of person that is already a little bit like wishy-washy where it, it took like this huge turning point in his life for him to decide whether he was good or evil, <laughs> then like <laughs> well, another huge turning point in future Cole's life where like his family was killed by this thing, it would make sense that he would kind of go crazy and do like the evil thing to try and, you know, prevent that. I, I also like the angle of, like, Kessler is like, I'm going to be a bad guy in order to prevent a greater harm. Like, that that is, first of all, the more the most morally nuanced thing in the game, but also it works with the sort of theme of morals, you know, like right. ethics and all of that. It, yeah. it works with the game really well. Yeah, it, it makes it, like, it, it makes you ask questions of, is he doing evil things if ultimately, like, do the, do the, um means justify are, the ends. Or yeah, the are, are his actions justified, ethically speaking? Yeah, I think it's really cool. And I feel like, you know, if I were in Kessler's situation, I'd probably just, like, instead of being a bad guy, I would just be like, hey, Cole, it's me from the future. We need to make you stronger or else some shitty thing is going to happen. Yeah, but would you believe him? <laughs> I guess, like, listen, if somebody if somebody goes back in time and they look like me but older, I would believe them. Especially if they knew shit about my life. Would you, know? you not just think that you were losing your mind? <laughs> it could be two things. Okay, look. I've got electric powers, by the way. Keep in mind, in this hypothetical scenario... <laughs> well, no, 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 no. You don't have electric powers until you've already... He's already done something completely fucked up. Because you killed thousands of people to get well, those yeah, powers. So, but how did... Kessler, Kessler got... Elect, like, he got electricity powers in his own timeline. I don't... I don't know where the race sphere came from because I don't think Kessler made it. <laughs> I'm wondering if maybe in Kessler's timeline the race sphere was detonated much later in Cole's life. Like like he had it still, but it was given to like, him. So so like because uh the beast attacks in a couple years, so I'm wondering if maybe like Kessler went back in time to accelerate the production of the race sphere. Yeah. That yeah, I, that would, I could that would see make that. sense then that would still not break the whole timeline situation. Uh, anyway, like, there, there's a lot going on here. There's time travel. Trish <laughs> dies. That's messed up. Um, apparently, if you're evil, you kill Zeke. Oh, uh, interesting. Oof. I, I've, then like, uh, the, <laughs> the good ending is canon to Infamous 2, then, because he's, yeah, he's still there. I went to Zeke's page on the, the, <laughs> the wiki, and it says, Status, alive, good karma, deceased, evil karma. So I guess maybe he dies in the second game if you're evil. I don't know. Um, but my yeah, assumption so, would be that you kill him in the first game because he killed Trish, basically. Yeah, I, I, I never got the evil ending. Uh, according to the wiki, uh, Cole destroys the city. Oh, he just blows up the city at the end? Yeah, it says, Cole tore down the city and reduced it to a wasteland, taking it down notch by notch as he went about his activities. As he looked on, he remarked that his powers were only good for one thing, letting him take what he wanted when he wanted and completely neglected what Kessler has laid out for him, claiming he was an idiot for trying to make him into a savior. Okay. I mean, I think that kind of makes sense for everything that happened in, in the plot of the game. Yeah. Like... He's like, if the goal is to save people, why the hell did you kill Trish? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's it's interesting, too, because Kessler's philosophy is that suffering is required for growth. Yeah. And therefore, the more suffering, the more growth. Which is not, you get diminishing returns at the very least. 
Yeah, for sure. So I feel like it wasn't really necessary to kill Trish. But I wonder if it was also a component of like him being like, I need to test the moral worth of Cole because I need Cole to be a good enough person to decide that it's worth dedicating the next couple years to saving the world from the beast. Yeah, and he also, he said, like, something along the lines of he needed to make sure that there was no emotional attachment to, like, the world around him so that he could just cleanly make the right decision, which I think builds more into the do the ends justify the means of Kessler's character. Yeah. Because he's like, it's not about good or evil, it's about, like, we need to save the planet. Yeah. I also, like, I think there's a certain degree of, like, Kessler's ethics have been absolutely, like, messed up by the fact that he just essentially abandoned an entire timeline. So, like, in theory, if he gets this timeline wrong, he'll just try again. Yeah. Like, well, except uh, I think, he can't I think he dies, dead. but... Yeah, he's hardcore but, dead. Cole kills you know, the shit like, out of him. <laughs> he's like, this timeline doesn't... This timeline matters as much as my last timeline, and I abandoned my last timeline. So, like, yeah. I might as well do some messed up shit in this one, too. Yeah, I, th I think that, like, the logic of every character and their motivations makes sense, except for Moya, whose motivations we do not know by the end of this game. Yeah, and we never get to know them either. She's not an infamous two. I didn't think she was. I, I wasn't sure, though, so I was trying to be, like, you know, open-ended. So, how do you guys feel about the characters in this game? Jesus Christ, what a transition. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you think of something better. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's, it's fine. I think that we should start by talking about Cole. We've already said, you know, a few things about him, but how do you guys feel about Mr. McGrath? I like Cole. <laughs> Me too. I, th I think Cole is fine. I think I'm the least jazzed on Cole out of the three of us, but he still overall gets a thumbs up. I mean, I like his design with, I mean, it's, even though his design is being a shaved head and having the jacket, but like I saw him in <laughs> Street Fighter Cross Tech, I'm like, oh, that's... That's a pretty good design. Yeah, he's he's very serviceable. Serviceable is definitely the word. I mean, it's it's interesting because it's sort of a comic book game, but his character design is still very like guy Grounded wearing a in jacket. Reality. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. it's it's very in general the character design is fairly mundane. It gets like wackier as time goes on, which is something that I like. Um but it feels weird that our protagonist is is the most mundanely designed character. Well, I don't know. I feel like Zeke and Trish both are like pretty run of the mill as well. It's mostly just like the I don't other know. Zeke is Zeke is a little over the top. <laughs> well, in in the way that he is, yes. But like his outfit is mostly just like a beat up jacket and some dumbass sunglasses that he wears. <laughs> no, in the I still kind of disagree. He he. He kind of gives me some cartoony vibes the, aesthetically. The dumbass sunglasses are really doing a lot of work here, though. Let me see if I can find. Exactly He's like what the he like. the the Elvis impersonator from Guitar Hero, visually. Like his name is Buddy or something. Yeah, I know who you're talking about, roughly. Uh, let's see if I can grab an image of Zeke from the first game. I I want a render, but it's just showing me the really cool comic cutscenes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the the image of him giving Cole a funny look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I guess this will work. It really doesn't show you what he's wearing. But, like, basically he doesn't have, like, an aesthetic that is associated with, like, fictional media, I guess, is the best way that I would put it. Which I think is what, like, Isaiah is getting at. Because when you see Kessler, he's got, like, these big, like, white circles and, like, a crazy trench coat. And he's got, like, metal grafted onto his arm or something. 
And when you yeah. see Sasha, she's got like the black tentacles and she has like no pants on and is just covered in goo from the waist down. She's she's wearing like a a, a hood and also is bald. Yeah, like and the hood is not an aesthetic choice for her. It is to cover the fact that she's bald. But the hood also it's not like a cloak. It's literally just like a hood and then like a vest and she's not wearing anything under it. It's very like over the top, very much yeah. so. And then uh, Alden looks like a crippled old man who has like metal grafted to his head. So like that's his weird thing. Whereas like Zeke is definitely like a little bit larger than life, but he's not like glowing in a specific <laughs> color. He doesn't have any anything like piercing his body. Even he doesn't even have like a nose ring or anything. <laughs> well, and I think I think they they go to efforts to make the conduit characters designed in an interesting way. Yeah. Um, and, and Trisha's design is complex. Like, if you look at her outfit, it, there's, like, a lot going on, but, you know, it's not, yeah, but she it's, doesn't look like a superhero. <laughs> the the non-conduits are just regular people, and I guess it's weird to me that Cole is also designed to mostly look like a regular person. Aside yeah. from, obviously, the lightning uh, coming out of his hands at all times. His outfit in 2 is, like, a little bit more complex but i guess we'll get to that that's talk for another time all right so talk for so do you guys like trish or zeke better? no <laughs> i don't like trish <laughs> do you like how she hates you for most of the game until she dies i just it feels... i don't know maybe it's because maybe it's because i was stuck on the bus mission for so long but i've just got so sick of her voice yeah you mostly <laughs> hear her like complaining at you and it does not endear her it feels I gotta I gotta like say this. It feels bad that the majority of like superhero stories with a female love interest spend most of the female love interest like screen time having her be like, You either suck or shouldn't be doing this. Like one of those two things. Yeah, and both like, come off as nagging in a way that is not good for the character. It's not good. And it's so consistent across, like, the superhero genre. Yeah. Yay, sexism. Poor it's, writing. It's not great. <laughs> and it, it's like, because in I, any I individual that, case, I think you that, can like, be like... Th so this is definitely, like, men writing women. But I do think that her motivation for being the way that she is totally makes sense. Whereas a lot of the time it doesn't. Yeah, like, I think it, like, her, her situation... Her reactions are extremely reasonable. Yeah, it just it just sucks that she is part of a pattern. Yeah, she's which, become a trope when yeah. she didn't need to be. Yeah, and it and it makes it it makes it impossible to like her, and also kind of makes it harder to like women in general once you pick up the pattern. I mean, uh, yeah, and that's it, that's not good. No, it's not great. Um, that being said, I think Moya is a much better written character in this capacity. Yeah. She seems, like, competent and motivated and, like, has, I guess, like, clearer intentions and is not, like, she's an ass to Cole, but only as much <laughs> as Cole is an ass to her. Yeah. You love to hate her. It feels it feels more uh, even. Um, yeah. My only regret is that we never found out her motivations. I think you do in the comic. Okay. Because that, it, well, it's supposed to fill in the gap between one and two, so I think... You know what we sense. say about supplementary material? Go fucking read it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's go read the Balan Wonderworld book. Is that a thing? Yes. Is it a novel? That explains everything that you don't know about the game, which is about everything. I mean, that sounds a lot better than the game, which explains nothing except for how to use the Oh, yeah, I really want to read the book. 
So I think we're all with it on this. <laughs> I just don't want to play the game, unlike this, where I'd rather play the game than read it. Well, I don't know. The comic series uh, seems really cool. Let me also say, I love Zeke. I do also love Zeke. I I think that in the evil version where you kill Zeke, I might enjoy that part. <laughs> Damn. Like, from hearing that he kind of betrays you is, like, that's disheartening, but I never got there, so I get to live in blissful ignorance. <laughs> well, and after that, he tries to make it up to you. Like, I think that Zeke has a neat little arc that is good, but I, I do frequently, like, like Zeke does so many things where it's like, just shut up, go home. <laughs> yeah, but I, I find that, like, amusing and endearing, and yeah. I feel like, I I don't feel like they could have done it. The thing is, they could have done it slightly differently, and I would have found him extremely annoying. And I can't really tell you what they would have done differently to make it the case. Just put more lines in, I think, would be the only problem. I think that Zeke is in the story just enough to not get old. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Because there are a lot of Zeke-type characters in media that are extremely annoying. And he's he's present exactly enough that I'm like, hell yeah, it's Zeke. I think that he is What's present. What's this guy want now? I think that he is present the exact right amount that if this game was named like Cole, it would not be named Cole and Zeke. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree. And if it were named Cole and Zeke, it would be a worse game. Yes, definitely. So, how do you guys feel about John? White? John, I have John no feelings. That question like set me back for a second. <laughs> <laughs> this is the guy that uh, you mostly meet through dead drops until a later part of the game where you like interact with him as a real character and he chats with you. But uh, I guess if you guys never met him, I'll just talk about John for a minute. <laughs> yeah, you should do that because I didn't quite get to meet him. So John is Moya's husband. Spoilers, he's not Moya's husband. <laughs> but the first way that you're introduced to John is Moya's like, my husband John was working for the First Sons and he had to uh, infiltrate them. So you have to go and find him. And you learn quite a bit about John through the dead drops, but when you meet him, he's like, Moya is not my wife. I don't know what the hell is going on. You need to work with me, and we need to, like, blow up this race fear stat. And he has nothing else going on in his life. He is purely motivated by just <laughs> blowing up the race fear. And then near the end of the game, he, like, the, you blow up the race fear, if you're the good guy, and then he just gets killed. So it's like... He doesn't really have an arc. He is mostly just there to make things feel even more urgent and to make you feel lied to as the player. Yeah. Well, so I'm wondering, because I didn't get to listen to that many dead drops, I'm wondering if his arc is mostly contained within those drops. You, like, you learn more about how he feels through them, but I don't think that he ever changes as a person throughout the story. Okay. What do you guys think of Sasha... Sasha, I actually, I actually really like Sasha. It, on, it felt like a shame that she was not relevant to the plot at all once you defeated her. Yeah. And I think a part of that is just that I feel like, I don't know, if we're gonna dedicate so much story time to her arc, maybe that arc should be meaningful. I really um, didn't care for her that much. I mean, she was, like I said, she was there, and because like she was the first boss, I'm like, I guess I, there's not much to think about other than like a quick mention from John and the dead drops. Yeah. I think that I think... she becomes more interesting retroactively when you realize the, like, Cole Kessler are the same person thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, like, it makes you think about the fact that Kessler not only went back in time and did a bunch of horrible things to Cole, he's also ruining Sasha's life. 
<laughs> like he's he's running around and doing all of this awful shit just because he believes it will help Cole be ready to fight the beast. Regardless yeah. of what happens to anyone involved. Because he directly caused Sasha to use the brain control shit to make the Reapers. So it's like the the ramifications of Sasha and Kessler's interactions do not become understood until the last like fourth of the game. Yeah. And I think I think that's I mean, it's another point in the this game was designed to be replayed sort of bucket. Yeah. Um because Sasha does not come up again until the last fourth. And then she's relevant in the first fourth. Yeah. So I, when you replay it, it's sort of back to back. And so it, it puts things in perspective. I do think though that this is the first case where like I kind of agree with Charlie. I think it suffers from wanting you to play it twice because the first time through she kind of doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, especially like and especially because uh, you don't know Kessler's name unless you've been collecting dead drops. So the first time she she mentions Kessler's name, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, there's a really solid chance you're like, what the fuck is a Kessler? Yeah. <laughs> this is I a do, Star Wars reference. I, I do <laughs> like the um, the depiction of her, of her like mind control goop as like, uh, she's not just controlling you, she's also like, literally trying to convince you to do something like she's talking to you yeah you know uh i i really enjoyed that i also liked the um uh the first time i don't think this happened any of the subsequent times but the first time uh you're you're under the effects of the goop the camera is not under your control it it so kind like, of is but it's like being it's like being tugged away from you yeah like the camera is trying to push you towards something and you have to like push it back towards what you're actually trying to focus on yeah like you still uh, you still can really use the, the right stick but it's like yeah it, it's it's very cool it's it's like this this like uh like the goop is trying to influence you to walk in a different direction and you have to actively resist that that's that's a really cool like mechanical way to convey that experience yeah i really agree uh, another bit about the camera, it doesn't really fit into any of our things on the docket today, but <laughs> did you know that at the beginning of the game when you're doing the tutorial and it tells you to look up at the helicopter, um, no matter what direction you push on the control stick, whether it's up or down, you will start looking up, and that is how the game decides whether or not you want inverted camera oh, controls. That see, is genius. I'd heard I'd heard uh, Metal Gear Solid Five did that, but I thought that was the like the only game that had done that. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that. So the funny part of this is that when it told me to look up, I I pushed up, so my camera controls were not inverted vertically. But when yeah. it tells you to look left, I just wanted to see what was on the right, so I tried to look to the right, and then it forced <laughs> me to the left, and then my x-axis was inverted. And I was like, this oh, is no. very dumb. I need to go change this. <laughs> you, you know what? I think... I, I think afterwards I saw that happen. I saw what my controls were and I had to reverse it because I was really confused. Yeah, I bet you had like a similar situation to me where you just like started moving the like control stick just to but see. But I think it was just my left and right that was in there. I think the up and down is where I wanted it. It's just whenever I was trying to aim at it and went the other direction, I'm like, why is this happening? Yeah, that's the exact same thing that happened to me because it was like, oh, I, I looked the wrong way, I guess, because I was curious what was going on over here. And then that like changes how the controls work. But I think it's a neat system because it like. Yeah, yeah. It helps and it's you. not like it's fixed there forever. Yeah, yeah. You, you can instantly go and change it in the options. So it's like, but I do think it's cool that they implemented that. Nope, you've got to restart the whole game. So how do you guys oh, feel? No. <laughs> how do you guys feel about <laughs> Kessler? Um, I'm a huge fan of Kessler conceptually. He's not afraid of saying he's weak. I guess that's all I got. I think for 
for some reason, kid me when I found out. Uh, first of all, I found out they were the same person. It blew my mind. But also, like, I was like, oh yeah, of course he's got electricity powers. So if he becomes powerful enough, he'll eventually be able to travel through time. Like that's just that's just a logical extension that works for me. To me, and then I just didn't give it a single second thought. That makes like the same amount of sense as like Superman being able to go back in time by making the Earth rotate the wrong way. I think I think for me it makes the same amount of sense as he's got electricity powers, which means he can see visions from dead people. That okay, I think that actually makes a lot more sense if you just assume like, oh well, your brain is just electricity. Yeah, that, that, that's true. Yeah, time is not electricity. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. But like, I I think it's more so that they that like Cole slash Kessler always had like telepathic and telekinetic abilities that were just minor until they hit like the race sphere. Yeah. And then Kessler probably used it multiple times or something, and then it really just advanced shit until he could travel back in time. I yeah. kind of wish they would have tried to do something kind of like X Men Days of Future Past, where he travels back in time to his own body. That way that you don't have like two Coles fighting each other. But you know, mm-hmm. what are you gonna do? I, I am, I am very, um, I am very enthralled by the idea of you, like you are the protagonist and you are trying to defeat your future self and avoid becoming your future self. Like that's a story that I that I find really engaging. Yeah. Um, then do I have the anime for you? Um, <laughs> Wait, that would be a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> well, not if you don't say the name of the anime right now. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah, I like Kessler too. I think that he serves his role really well, and I think that the the fact that constantly he makes you think about do the ends justify the means is very cool, especially on the second playthrough. Yeah. Uh, how do you guys feel about the uh, the voice of survival? He's all right. <laughs> Wait, what? The guy that is the pirate um, television. Oh dude. yeah, that that guy. The TV guy. The TV guy. I was imagining that as like your inner voice, and I'm like, hmm, I don't remember Cole going that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like. The thing, the thing about him that gets me is when I played it, when I played the game as a kid, I was like, "This guy is a dick. What an asshole!" And I'm older, and I and I like watch scenes by him, and he'll he'll come in and be he'll be like, "Hey, so like, um, the weather's gonna be rough for the next couple of days, and there are some cold kids over here in the part of the town that don't have power, so like." Uh, we need to organize and, and like get some some blankets over to them or some clothes. It doesn't matter if the clothes don't fit. They'd rather have clothes that don't fit than than freeze to death. Also, and I'm like, Damn. fuck Cole McGrath. He's a terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know, I know he doesn't like me, the protagonist <laughs> of the game, but like he is literally not only trying to survive, but trying to keep his community safe. Yeah, like, I res- I respect that a lot. I I got to appreciate that. I just, the only problem with his character that I think I have is that he seems split between let's help the community and fuck terrorists, but it's like, <laughs> he's not getting, he's not doing journalistic work, like, he's just saying fuck terrorists, but specifically yeah. you, so it's like, it feels kind of like there are different people, you know, there's like the guy that hates Cole and the guy that wants to help the children. <laughs> so according to the to the TV Tropes page, because again, I didn't uh, get far enough in this playthrough, um, so first of all, spoilers, uh, he does die. He gets uh, captured, I think, I think that, like, you hear shooting sounds, but I don't know if they, like, c- totally confirm whether or not he's dead. So he says, so he, he gets captured and or killed by the First Sons. Yeah. Um, 
And he says something to the effects of, but I did everything you told me, uh, which I'm, which I think is supposed to imply that his bad mouthing of Cole was under the direction and duress of the first sons. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense too. Which you know, again, it's something that retroactively it it like adds up a little more. But I don't yeah. think, it, and especially in... because like his community action and his hatred of Cole are so they're so different from each other that it makes sense that one is what he actually wants to do and the other is what he's forced to do. Right, but I don't think that that one offhand remark like actually salvages the fact that the character <laughs> is very annoying frequently. I think I think that's highly fair. Also, okay, I actually have to complain about this. Uh whether it's the the news person or the voice of survival, um whenever the TV is on, there's no subtitles for it. Yeah, also, if you walk away, you just, like, don't get to hear it, so it kind yeah. of asks you to stand there for a little bit, which... Yeah, and, and there's no way to re-watch them, either, like there are no. with Dead Drops, so, like, you have to stand in place, and if you're in the middle of a shootout, that's a problem. Sometimes there will be other dialogue happening on top of it. Yep. It's, it's not great. Yeah, it's very ungraceful, but I don't think that the... TV information is, like, so important, it mostly just, like, flavors the environment a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's all good. It makes it makes the place feel more real, uh, which mm-hmm. is which is really nice. Uh, and, I, and I'm wondering if maybe the lack of subtitles is due to the fact that it was, like, uh, FMV. And I mean, so that, they just couldn't time subtitles to lines as, that, as easily. That makes truly no sense. You could easily just, like, <laughs> put the lines up there and have them be slightly delayed or whatever. Like, it would not matter. It's because it's just audio. The audio and video are not directly linked. It's just like playing an audio track, and then there's video on the TV. So it's like you could just transcribe the audio like you did with everything else in the game. Yeah, it's it's um, my my understanding of the way subtitles are generally set up. It would take uh, a bit more work to do than than the the regular system. Um, I don't know how much work it would take. Uh, how much more work I should say it would take. Okay, well, I'm um, curious, why would it take any more effort to transcribe that audio than any other piece of audio in the game? So so here's the bit. In in video games, generally what happens is um, there's a voice clip and uh, a uh, piece of subtitle which are rigged to go off at the same time. Yeah. And so usually you have sort of this list of voice clips and when the previous one ends, you have this bit of delay time before the next one uh, starts. Uh, which gives you this uh, this natural pause buffer, um, and uh, sometimes in games you'll have characters talk over each other, but there will be weird pauses between them, and this is this is the reason for that. It's just more work to reconfigure the amount of pause for for a given line, so it, it's just less work to standardize it. Um, and so if you have like an FMV section, there is no list of lines. There is instead just one long uh, like clip of audio that is playing in sync with the with the video, um, and so um, you could I guess you could have one long subtitle, and sometimes Infamous does that, and they just have this scroll feature going on. Yeah. Also, um, like, why couldn't you just have subtitles that are timed with the video still? Like, it would well, be that's, an issue if someone talked over it. But that's, that's what I'm saying separate. is the architecture for making subtitles play in sync with the audio or with the uh, audio and video is different than the architecture for most of the dialogue in the game like yeah, you would have to build that system separately and that would take an amount of time i guess but i can't imagine it would take any more time than just already programming a delay after a line is played and and just for the record 
I'm of the opinion that that amount of time is worth it because I think those sections need subtitles. Yeah, even more than mm -hmm. anything else in the game. Yeah. It's so easy yeah. to not be able to hear what's going on. <laughs> yeah. But but I think like that that uh programmatic difference is the reason as as far as I can tell, I'm assuming that's the reason they don't have subtitles. Maybe. Because if that were not the reason, then the reason would be because we didn't want them to have subtitles, and that's a way worse reason. I think that there are a lot of things in this game that are kind of lumpy that get solved in the future <laughs> entries, but... <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree with that. Do you guys have anything else you'd like to say about the uh, characters? Um, I didn't get to Alden Tate. I don't know if you want to talk about him briefly. Nah, fuck that guy. Okay, <laughs> I respect that. <laughs> yeah, I think he's kind of cool, but not nearly as cool as Sasha or Kessler. And yeah. I think that he mostly just serves like a, a like bridge role between those two and between like the three major maps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's just move on. Like a cow? Yeah. Move because I'm actually on. just stalling because we're going to talk about dead drops. <laughs> so dead drops are basically these satellite dishes spread around the city that are that basically serve as A, collectibles, and B, lore drops. Because uh, at the beginning, Moya will say, I need you to look into what happened to John and you can find him through these dead drops and you just, I don't know, you, you plug him into your phone or something and you listen to the feedback and I'll yeah, you you'll send like him a, to me. and You take like an SD card or something and your phone decodes it. Man, it's, it is it is really interesting, I'm realizing, because this was released in like late aughts and you're like, oh yeah, they mostly have flip phones back then. And I also, when you had to do the drone mission, I'm like, oh right, they look like planes because that's all people knew drones were back then. <laughs> yeah. They're not the little four yeah. helicopter things. Right, like the vertical takeoff vehicles. <laughs> um, and I mean, he he basically, it's just John like investigating the first sons, and you know, he mentions Kessler and Sasha, and just kind of the the history of the first sons. I don't know if we're gonna go into any specific details, but. There are um, two uh, dead drops that I specifically wanted to talk about. The uh, first one is just for flavor. It's There's a dead drop where John has recorded Kessler talking about one of the experiments with a ray sphere. And, or, I don't know if it's with a ray sphere specifically, but it's with, like, trying to give things, like, conduit abilities and, like, activating latent conduit abilities. And he talks about how he's got, like, a test rat that he has, like, trapped and then exposed to, like, ray sphere energy. And then the rat is trying to escape, and it develops wings to try and, like, get out of its enclosure. Oh, man. Yeah. So it's, like, it tells you, first of all, that, like, Kessler is a monster. Second of all, <laughs> that, like, any, like, some people and any living, living thing, presumably, can have conduit abilities, like, latent. And then yeah. they can be pulled out. And then it also tells you that they can sprout wings, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the really important implication on that is your conduit powers can affect your body sometimes in very helpful ways. Yeah. Um, but it can it can alter your physical form, uh, which might be why Sasha is bald, even though that's irrelevant in the second game where conduits st definitely still have hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the other one that I wanted to talk about is just the very last dead drop that you get. Um, it's like, so these dead drops are supposed to be being sent to, um, John's handler or like whoever, you know, his contact is with the, the main association that he's working with. And this last dead drop is his handler telling him, 
All right, John, you did your best. It's time to leave. We're going to have a chopper waiting for you every morning at 6 a.m. at, like, some specific spot. And then, like, that's just the last message. But we know that, like, John never goes to that helicopter, and he just ends up dying. So it's like, the the team that he was working for told him specifically, like, it's time to leave. It Like, we're screwed. Don't, like, try and, like, get yourself killed, basically. And he ignores that and goes anyway. You know? I really like that. Yeah, I think it's, like, a very cool reward for getting the last, like, little lore drop is that you learn that John is so motivated that he doesn't even care about what his <laughs> organization wants at this point. Well, and that's that's great, too, because you do still kind of have to put the pieces together and be like, okay, they told him to do this, but I met him. I know he didn't do that. Yeah, and you you will most likely get this shortly before you meet John in person, if you're going yeah. to get all of them anyway. Like, you'll grab the last dead drop, and then you'll start this mission that is John, like, showing you where the race sphere is and, like, dying at the end of that mission. So if you get it in that order, it's, like, a very intense scene, even more so that's than it was really before. That's really good. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I, I really like the dead drops a lot. I feel like they are a very good reward for, like, climbing around on buildings and, you know, just exploring the environment. And I think that it, like, really helps you get engrossed in the story. I think it's much yeah. better than... Some games, like, I think this kind of replaces the systems that you had in older, like, exploration-based games where you would pick up documents and read them. Yeah. But I feel like because they have framed them in this way that they are audio recordings that are meant to be sent to someone, it works. It, like, feels built into the game. And then also well, because of that, you get to listen to them while you're moving around and looking for more stuff anyway so it doesn't, like, impede the fun of hipping and hopping around. <laughs> Yeah, I, I enjoy that there's something you can find while exploring, and then while you en while you engage in them, you can continue exploring. Yeah. That's really nice. It's it's very elegant. Uh, and I know that, that games borrowed from this, like, as, as games evolved, and I'm sure Infamous isn't the first game to do it, it's just the first game I played to do it, but it's, it's, it's a very elegant way to deliver a narrative. Yeah. Oh, okay, so I've got the exact quote from the last, um, the last dead drop. Okay. So it's, uh, Director Houston is the one speaking, and he says, Agent White, this is NSA Director Houston. Your operation has been terminated. No one is blaming you for what happened. We know you did everything you could. We will have a chopper at drop point Zeta every day at 16, or at, how do you, like, what, like? 1600 hours? 16, 1650 hours. 1650 okay. hours, I guess, is how you would say oh, that? Oh, God. I, I think don't know. that's right. Anyway, like, it's... Like, 4.50 in the evening. <laughs> and then yeah. he says, it's time for you to come home. Oh, man. And and John just doesn't. Yep. Uh, but that It's a really good line, too. No one is blaming you for what happened. Yeah, it's it's very good. It's it's like the it's like his handler is trying to talk him down. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And it doesn't work. Like, he just goes and does what he needs to anyway. Or what he oh, believes he needs really to. really good. So, do you want to talk about, like, the... The plot implications of infamous yeah. karma system. So, so sometimes you can make decisions that affect the plot, but they kind of don't affect the plot, which is almost a shame. Yeah, it um, because especially because they're framed as something that affects the plot, uh, even though they end up being sort of a closed, a closed branch. You know, they they converge back again. Yeah. Um. Like, you get to choose, do you save Trish or not? And if you save her, she dies anyway. And that sucks. It does still um, kind of, like, change how you frame the event, though. Because, like, the other people all died. 
So it's like, yeah. not only did you lose Trish, but you didn't help anyone. And that, like, I think reinforces the idea that Cole becomes more and more selfish as more shitty things happen to him, if you're evil. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a question for you, Charlie. This is the first time that you've played Infamous. So did you feel like the karma system impacted the way you played the game at all? I mean, I don't know, because I only did the good route, which was logical to me. So I, I can't really know what an uh, evil route would necessarily do. I think, well, I think I sort of what he's asking is, like... Were you ever like in a in a combat situation where you had to change how you were fighting to make sure you didn't hurt civilians? Uh, it depends on how angry I am as a person at the moment. Damn. I mean, because that's I actually... will if I have to blow up a car to get rid of these like meaty ass dustmen, I will do it. <laughs> and if I can, I may go. What I it's it's kind of like when I play Shadow the Hedgehog. Yeah, yeah. The same or, game. Like I will, <laughs> I will destroy. As much as possible, and then if I see some dead soldiers, if I have, like, a shadow crate nearby, I'll get the heal can and just start spamming that. <laughs> yeah, so, like, you retroactively make right, as opposed to, like, yeah. trying to do necessarily, like, everything in your power in the moment. But so there isn't necessarily enough consequence of, like, like uh, standby casualties. Yes. Yeah. So, here's so. here's an interesting thing. There have been a couple times where I was low on health and there was an enemy right in Violeach range and I had to really consider it. Yeah, I think that's... I was like, there's there's no way for me to heal right now aside from this, or I could go into danger to find something to heal. Am I willing to do a bad thing in order to make my life easier for a little bit? And that's like, that's like holy shit, that's the point of the game? Yeah, it... it... <laughs> I think the system does not always have as much of an impact as they wanted, but there are definitely yeah. key moments that are not specifically framed for you by the game. Like, oh, do you want to kill these civilians or do you want to kill, like, the police or whatever? Like, it's, hey, you are going to die if you don't do this right now, and that's okay. Like, dying does not set you back very far in this game. So yeah. it's like, do you want to test your abilities, see if you die, or just be evil for a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little evil to just get the a juice. Bit. You can make up for it later. Yeah. It'll be fine. But you have to I think mean, about that. You can never undo the amount of torture you inflicted on this person, but you can heal a couple people and hope it evens out. Yeah. Uh, and I think that there... So there's a system... I guess this will convey to like another little bit that we're going to get into, which is just how the late game works. Yeah. But one of the... One of the things that you unlock, one of the last things you unlock, as a matter of fact, is uh, karma... I forget the exact term for it, but it's like a karma boost, basically. Where, like, if you are completely evil or completely good, you can hit... Uh, I think it's down on the D-pad? It might be, like, left on the D-pad or something. It's one of the D-pad buttons. But it basically gives you infinite energy for a set period of time and then moves your karma, like, a half step towards the middle. Oh, interesting. So, if you're playing the good route, and you accidentally hurt someone, you lose access to that ability until you do something good. So, I think that, like, that, if if this happened, like, a little bit earlier in the game, it would be really cool. But because of how happens it late, how late it happens, rather, you don't tend to need to use it. You'll just have enough energy to deal with the things in your environment. But I think yeah. that, like, in theory, it's very cool. Yeah, I think I think the scripted decisions seem to me to not generally work for the specific reason that once you make a decision you're committed. Yeah. But some of the more organic decisions of should I should I bio leech when I'm low on health? Will I be able to like can I justify that ethically? 
<laughs> yeah. quote unquote ethically, like that those work a lot better. I totally, totally agree. Um, and I think like one of one of the coolest things about the system is just the fact that you can make these tiny choices and they ultimately don't matter too much, but the game frames them with bright blue and bright red to constantly remind you like, hey, you did this thing, hey, you fucked up, or like, hey, yeah. you did this thing, you're getting closer to like new abilities that happen when you're good or evil, you know? Yeah. So yeah, overall, I like the karma system. I just, like, the the intentional choices don't have as much of an impact as I'd like, especially because the ones that affect the plot don't actually affect the plot in the way that I'd prefer. Yeah, they adjust dialogue slightly, but never significantly. Yeah. Other than you can just, like, you can get the bad end if you're bad. Yeah, um, it's like you end up killing Zeke and destroying the whole city, basically, is, like, the major change. Which is, like, I don't think that's necessarily bad. I think that's, like, a fine way to have the ending of your second playthrough. Yeah. I I guess, like, the one thing I wish about the bad ending, because the good ending is him being, like, you know, I hope I'm ready to fight the beast when the time comes, you know. Yeah. Um, and the bad ending is him being like, who gives a shit about the beast? I'm going to destroy the town. Um, but I, I feel like I would have I been very satisfied, I think, if Cole was like, I'm going to destroy the town to test my power and see if the beast is next. Yeah. Like, like, this is, yeah, I'll kill the beast and I'll prove that I can kill the beast by doing something hugely horrible because I don't give a shit. Well, and because so many of the people in the, those cities just hate Cole and want to kill him anyway. So yeah. it's like, it's not like he doesn't have anything against the city. There are three colossal factions that are constantly <laughs> fucking with him the whole time. Yeah. And if, if the city's gone, they're not a problem anymore, so it's fine. <laughs> so, one of the last things that we want to finish talking about in this episode before we wrap up is the uh, three different maps. I don't have, like, a whole ton to say about these. But the first map is Neon, and this is, like, you know, your basic city. It's got, like, lots of little entertainment areas in it. Like, not that you can enter, but just, like, there are lots of signs glowing and everything. Neon, like the district is called. And then there's also, like, power lines and trains running. And everything just looks kind of like your run-of-the-mill, like, slightly run-down city. And then when you go to the Warren for the second part of the game, this is where the buildings look more dilapidated, and there's, like trash can fires everywhere and stuff like that and the the like the, there are lots of like abandoned cars as well and then there's less greenery and then in the third area the historic district you've got slightly different architecture on the buildings they look a little older and the uh the big huge crater from the race sphere is also in this space and you can see like some of the damage that it's done on like surrounding buildings like uh the parking garage that you originally climb in during the tutorial segment and I think that ultimately, like, these sections don't look super different initially. It's only, like, upon closer inspection that you see the very the variety there. But I do think that they serve to, like, give you these set spaces that are going through different problems within the larger issue that, like, the city is under quarantine. There's, there's also something I have to appreciate about the Neon District being your first district, because... What is that, if not a district full of lights for you to siphon electricity from? Yeah, for so sure. So, like, like in, in theory, I don't know if this is necessarily true in practice, but it's very much like the farther you go, the fewer spots of electricity there are in a given district. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 
so you guys both got to the Warren, but not to the historic district, right? Correct. Correct. Okay, so what did you guys feel like it was different enough to warrant a whole different area, or did it feel like you were kind of just going through more of the same? I mean, it felt different because it definitely felt like a, tr- a slightly trashier area, especially with like the whole shipping area, the you know stack of containers. Oh yeah, for sure. And like it, it definitely made sense that this was the place where there were, I guess, more homeless people. Yeah, at it. Like enough to make an army. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I I appreciate that 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 section has the prison in it, right? Yes. There's a whole there's a whole environment like occasionally story missions, you know, will be linear and sometimes they'll sort of be this linear square you're traveling through. Uh but the prison is just in the middle of the district and so you can you can fall into it if you want if yeah. you're if you're not careful and then have to navigate your way out. Yeah, I guess you could say, like, the Warren has two major set pieces, like the harbor area where they've got all of those giant shipping containers, and then the prison, and then the other two districts, like the Neon District has that big park in the middle with the giant statue that you climbed during mm-hmm. your first event, and then it's also got, like, the uh, the bridge out of the city, and then the Historic District just has the race Sphere bomb location, you know? Yeah. Uh, I did remember there being a, a river in the second district. Which, if you don't have the hover ability, you can't jump across, and it will kill you instantly. <laughs> yeah, you have to, like, tiptoe across the wires. Yeah, uh, which is which is pretty good. Uh, I think, in general, maneuverability is a little bit trickier in the second district than it was in the first one. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is also why they give you more maneuverability powers. Yeah. And when I say more, I mean mostly just the hover. Does this game have a super jump? This one does not. Yeah. Does the next one? Yes, and I thought I remember there being a super jump. And also, the hover is like really bad. Yeah, it's not is, very effective. <laughs> the The hover I actually really like because it it gets worse as it continues. Like it starts out, being yeah, pretty but good like and it gets any hover quickly. gets worse technically. But like that's a steep drop. <laughs> yeah, it's I, like you have to use it for the first second, and then it's basically useless. Like first half second, even. Yeah, it's a very brief amount of time that you get basically lateral movement. But I think that the good thing about this is it makes Cole feel not like a god. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. feel like he is this all-powerful being that can just do whatever he wants. He feels like an individual that still needs to, you know, get around. And I think that during the second and third games, they power you up more and more. So if you're playing them one after another... I think it actually feels like a good progression. And I don't yeah. think that maneuvering around in the game ever feels bad enough that the hover needed to be better. So it's literally just a way for them to give you slightly larger gaps to get over to make you think about killing enemies before you jump across something. Yeah. It's also, I mean, it's it's nice. I'm sure they were like, we want to make a second game given the way they wrote the narrative to tease a second game. Yeah. So they, they gave themselves room to make Cole more powerful in the sequel. I do. good. I do also think that the the hover is meant to be used in tandem with the induction grind, because when you induction grind and hover, you go quite a distance. Oh, yeah. So when you're using them together, I think it feels fine. So it's only really when you're, like, jumping between buildings that the hover feels, like, practically useless. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I do think... Um, I do think you're horizontal momentum in general is better from hovering than from free falling so you still do travel farther you just land at roughly the same time right uh i think that's like about it for what we want to cover so do you guys have any conclusive thoughts before we get into the thumbs up thumbs down segment 
I I think it's neat. I think the game's neat. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't wait to see how this Bakhti twos it up or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm actually very interested because I haven't played Infamous Two in a very very long time to see in what ways it grows. You know. Yeah. I, I was too young back then to really recognize that. I have, like, barely played Infamous 2. Like I said, I popped into it, like, in the middle of the game at one point. Never really played through the intro. So I am excited to see all that. And I've played all the way through Second Son, so I know how, like, crazy that game gets. Yeah. So I'm I'm very interested to see that middle point that I haven't had much experience with. But thumbs up, thumbs down, Infamous. I say thumbs up. Uh, thumbs up. I think my opinion has gone a little lower, but that's just because of how the late game gets. Yeah, the middle of the game feels very grindy. I I think that, like, the last third is, it's back to being as fun as the first third is, but the middle third, when you're in the Warren, feels like a bit of a slog, especially since it's a much larger environment, so just getting from mission to mission takes longer. I'm a thumbs up, though. I like this game a lot. And I think I like it more having played through it, like, all the way in basically one sitting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, where can you find us? You can find our Twitter at nospin-zone on twitter.com. You can also send your emails to the email account nospin-zone at gmail.com. Let us know if you're good or evil. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Where can, where can... And we will, re- we will notify the authorities. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter... At Isaiah Games. That's I S I A H Games. Uh, follow me at Charlie is Horace, where something might happen. That's almost ominous. Oh God. <laughs> On Twitter, by the way. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not just in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't right. be any horse. We need a we need a uh, infamous sign off. There was. We need a Bach by of infamous. We came up with one last time, but I cannot remember. I I don't remember either. <laughs> So we need a new one. Um, watch your karma. Thunder drop you later. Thunder drop you later. That's oh terrifying. That just sounds like a death threat. Um, well, my first idea was dead drop dead later. <laughs> That's oh all, that God. also sounds like a murder threat. Um, have have a be be good. <laughs> Don't let the. Don't. I, look, I got nothing. I need. I'm, don't be infamous. Don't don't kill people. <laughs> D- yeah, don't kill people. That's our. I'm gonna hit the stop button now. <laughs>